All right. What do you say we get started? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us together to study your word and to learn from your spirit. We pray that you would give us open hearts and open ears to trust in what you have to tell us. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with, Pastor Nelson always, when we talk about these things, you would be amazed, like I can't, I, I, I can't exaggerate how many times he says to me, there's a Johnny Cash song you should play. When, so, so I'm going to play this and then we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, but I, want you to, I just want you to listen to it and uh, um, think it just, we'll, we'll reflect on it a little bit later. All right, so that's really grim. We'll hang on to that for a second. The re- so the reason uh, I wanted to play that is because I think, I mean, there's, the tone of the song is really potent, right? Um, the, not just the, if you just read the lyrics, you'd get a sense for it, but the way he sings it and the, the sound of the music. Um, and I think that that is a pretty good reflection of uh, what Jennifer Fulwiler describes um, encountering when she's in the creek with her dad. So hang on to that for a second. I want to try, so now it would be really easy for this whole Bible study to be really grim like that. So we'll, we'll try and temper it uh, with less grim things. So let's start with something less grim. Um, so now I, I listened to Pastor Nelson's last two Bible studies, but since he's the one with microphone and you all don't have microphones, every time one of you spoke, I heard him breathing. And uh, <laughs> that's right. It was very agreeable, um, but, but I didn't know what was going on. Was there used to be a stool around here? Is there? Uh, I'll, just sit, I'll just sit lower here. Okay, all right. So tell me about what's been going on the last two weeks. What did you, uh, if you can summarize in a sentence or two, what, what did you talk about the last two weeks? Okay, convert, good, all right. Bible conversions, okay. All right, and 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 um, how in relation to uh, Jennifer Fulweiler's story? It was kind of the introduction to the, to the whole study. So we didn't okay. really take the Bible conversions and okay. here. It was simply that everybody has a story. Sure. Here's some biblical ones from some soup to nuts. Okay. And mm-hmm. everybody's story is going to be different. Okay. Now we're going to Okay, good. All right. Yeah, Karen. Sure. Sure. You know, and I think that's a great, it's a great observation to make. And one of the things that ought to be sort of thematic for this Bible study is that although we may not have the, I mean, we certainly don't have the exact same autobiography as Jennifer Fulweiler, and there may be many details which don't line up. What I think we can see, and this is why we study the Bible stories as well, we can see threads, we can see common themes, which help us to understand our own stories and then also help us to tell the story to other people, right? Because we can, we can identify uh, what, what the common threads are. And that's, I think that's especially true um, in today's section, in, to, in, in, the story that, in the part of her story that we hear today. So um, do you have any, any outstanding questions or anything from last week or the week, week prior, anything, any discussion you felt was incomplete or unfulfilled? If not, let's, let's move on. And we're going to, um, so now, it seemed like you made it through the first 11 pages or so. Just generally, this, you dealt with this narrative about Jennifer at her, at her camp, right? 
where Tippy, the camp counselor, tries to get her to make a decision for Jesus on the spot, right? Okay, so now that if you on that bookmark schedule, we're supposed to go all the way through page 51. Um, who knows whether that will happen? There's a lot of stuff here, and, and um, now there are, some, there are some spots too where it's, I think it's pretty rich and we could spend a lot of time talking, but I want to... I think I want to begin by just uh, doing some sort of comprehension kind of questions about this section because I think that a lot of interesting discussion will come out as we as we try and understand the characters and what's going on in the story. So, uh, in the in chapter two, um, we have this scene where Jennifer is visiting her old family land in central Texas. Actually, that picture that's on the bottom of the page. Everybody got a copy of this? I googled. Central Texas Creek, and uh, this is the picture. This is a, and I, I thought it was. It looked pretty much like what I had imagined. Um, you got it, it, now. She the way she describes it. The the I think the creek walls are a little bit higher, um, but you can see you can see sort of what she's looking at in the in the layers, the strata as they're looking for fossils, um, and you get and I think it's also interesting. You sort of get a sense for. Maybe a little bit of the loneliness of the place, um, the remoteness of it, um, and, and so there's all kinds of things I want, if, I want to talk about. But I think that it's notable. Well, let's let me, let's look at her, her questions. I want you to talk, and then I'll, I'll fill in where I my thoughts fit in. So she's at the creek with her dad, um, and we need to know a little bit about her dad. Describe her dad for us. What is her dad like? Karen. Anti, okay, so and and how do we know that? How how does he exhibit his anti-religion? He needs proof. Okay, all right, yeah. You know what? I got my my chapters messed up. We're not at the creek yet. Chapter two is not at the creek yet. We're jumping ahead here. Okay, so yeah, they have this conversation, right? He needs it. He needs proof. Um, uh, what else? What else do we know about her dad? Well, he kind of he thinks religion is a crutch. Okay. You know, like, He's too good for religion. You know, he knows better. And okay. Okay, and okay, this is great. And I, the conversation they have, I, th- I think, is very clear. How, um, can, can you lay out the argument? What is, what is his argument against religion? He knows better. He thinks it's a crutch, but wh- how, does, how does he get there? Because he feels like it doesn't make any room for question. Okay, right. Um, which, strictly speaking, isn't necessarily a problem with religion, right? But with religious people, right? Um, because uh, you can have you can have a very religious person who is open to questions, open to open to um, kind of discussion. At the same time, you can have an atheistic person who is completely closed off to questions. The presuppositions, uh, you know, incline them to rule out religion altogether, and so the conversation never starts. Okay, what what else? Uh, what else? What else about her dad? Um, and it, can you describe him more? Knowledge was very important. Yeah. Right. What book were they? Do you know what book they were reading? Cosmos by Carl Sagan. She's 11 years old, and they're reading Cosmos by <laughs> Carl Sagan. <laughs> um, which, and it, and um, so he's, he's sort of trying to open up the world to her, trying to let her see everything that's out there. Um, and that really plays a, a strong part, I think, Mm-hmm. Is the importance of knowledge versus I think this is right. I think this is right. Right. 
Exactly, exactly. So, so he gives her a piece of advice at the end. Do you remember what the piece of advice is? Question everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, page 16, the second full paragraph. Just make sure you don't fall into that. Make sure you don't start believing things just because someone says it's true. Even if it's coming from me, question everything. So what do you think about that advice? Is that, is that sound advice? Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, so test, test everything, right? Now, um, yeah, exactly. Test the spirits. Uh, and you test, now, this is, the, this is sort of the key here. Um, you, we test things against what Scripture says, but against what God's Word says. Um, and so, so we have a standard by, by which we can tell whether something is true or not. Um, it's easy to think that, it's easy, it's, it's easy apart from religion to think that you can test things, that you can question everything just sort of in a vacuum without any standards for truth, um, that you don't have any authority at all. But it's not, it's not true, right? You need, you need some way, some way to measure whether something's true or not. Um, does, does her dad give her any ways to measure whether something's true? No. Yeah. It comes down to whether it makes sense to you or not. Right. And it, you know, if you go to the doctor and get a blood test and you look at your results, it, it's all the numbers and they're all true, but if you don't know, is that a normal number or is that an abnormal number? Right. It doesn't mean anything. Right, exactly. And this is where, where relationships and, uh, yeah, relationships play an enormous role. So your relationship with your doctor is one of authority and uh, you, you, trust, you trust what he says because he has... He's studied the field. He knows more than you. And he's demonstrated. He's demonstrated his reliability. So if your doctor gives you a diagnosis and it's not, it turns out that it's not good, that you don't have the disease he says you have, you find a different doctor, right? So these relationships where you rely on somebody as an authority, they're not, they also aren't, uh, it, it, having that kind of relationship isn't a sign of weakness, but it's the only way we can sort of proceed. We need to, we need to trust somebody. Um, and we and we test it out. Go ahead, Karn. What's that again? You get a second opinion? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, and this is why so the story is so interesting because Jennifer has every good reason to trust her father. Right? He's cared for her. He's concerned about her. Um, he gives the right answer when she comes home uh, and had been pressured from having been pressured at camp to uh, to convert. He he's saying, you know, you don't, you, your instincts were right. They shouldn't have been doing that. It, uh, it, you know, it's not, right, it's not right to pressure kids to make those kinds of decisions. So in that sense, the kind, of com- the kind of comfort and reliability that he provides establishes a sound relationship. So he's, in that sense, building this authority. Um, now, I, I do think it's, it's, it's interesting. What's, so we get this, uh, this story that he tells, this anecdote which is his way of demonstrating that religion is just a crutch. What's the story? Do you remember? Christopher Columbus. Yeah, what, and what happens? Okay, so what happens? Right. Yeah. Unless I, yeah, I don't remember what it was either. That. Uh, yeah. Unless you trade with us. 
you, you share your resources. Okay, so, so his, his argument is Christopher Columbus is using God as, um, uh, yeah, right, a way to coerce them. And it's, and, and it's, it, he, it's, it's wrong because um, Christopher Columbus is lying about it. He's using just his knowledge to lord it over other people, okay? Um, so her father provides this, uh, this explanation, and it's sort of, it sort of is supposed to encompass all religion then. So anytime you talk about God, it fits into this category of somebody who, who knows more than you is trying to get you to do something, right? Um, which, I, you know, in the big scheme of things, that's not very sound reasoning, right? That's not, that's not, a, that's not a very sound argument. Um, okay, so let's see. The, 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 the other question I wanted to ask is, so her dad is very concerned about, um, is concerned about explaining religion, but what does her dad think religion is? How does he define religion? He doesn't say it explicitly in here. So think about what, uh, the con- how the conversation goes. What is religion? Unnecessary. Okay. So that, yeah, exactly. That's a, that for him, that's a characteristic of it. Um, but, but what is the substance of it? What is, re- what is religion? Myth. Okay. 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 Um, what about the content of religion? What does religion say? It's the work of some god. Yeah, right. It attributes something to God. So, so now this is a, a really a key point, I think. Um, and we'll get to this a little bit later, especially when we talk about Genesis. Um, his understanding of religion is attributing something to God, simply saying that God exists, um, which you know, is an important truth that God exists, but that's not the same thing as, so simply saying that God exists is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. They're two, they're two different things, uh, completely different categories of things. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, uh, in his explanation to the first commandment, talks about what it means to have a God. And according to Luther, having a God is trusting in something, whether it's a supernatural deity, you know, a, a divine entity, or it's money, or it's your health. Um, and so, strictly speaking, having a God isn't, isn't, a, isn't a question at all. Everybody has a God. You talked about this last year, I suppose, with uh, your, your Bible study on idols, right? Everybody has a God. Um, whether, you believe it, whether you believe in a supernatural God or, or not is, is not really the question. Who do you trust? That's the question for Christians. Who do you trust? Okay? Um, so, his, so Jennifer's dad is, is thinking of it in terms of, of intellect, in terms of what's, what's demonstrable by uh, you know, empirical evidence. But when it comes to Christianity, we're asking a completely different question. Um, and we'll find, we'll find that out a little bit later. Okay, let's move to the scene at the creek. Any other questions or comments there? Okay, let's move to the scene at the creek. Um, describe the scene. What, what's going on here? looking for fossils, and she realizes that these, the ones alive, are now be dead, and that basically she is part of this creation where she will die, and that's when she realizes, you know, if you don't have religion, that's just the answer. Sure. Life is meaningless. Okay. Yeah, and I, so I, I, think, I think probably at this point, she's maybe not even thinking of it in terms of if you don't have religion, this is the end, but she's just faced with the stark reality, right? And this is a change for her. What, how did she used to think about her trips to the creek before. 
how, how, how did she, how were they for her before? Memories. Memories, yeah. In fact, she describes it as coming home, comfort, to be in the company of, of, her, of her ancestors. Um, she felt, now this, so here's what she says on the bottom of page 17. Normally, being surrounded by the history of this place made me feel protected, connected to something larger than myself. This time, I felt the absence of my ancestors more than their presence. I was aware of a creeping realization, and I tried to shake it away. Um, so, and I think this is a, this is really, a, it's an important observation to make, that these, kind of, these kinds of experiences can go either way. I, it's so interesting, she describes um, the scene at the beginning. She says, we stood in a cathedral of nature, right? So she's in this scene, the setting which, which can go one way or the other for her. On the one hand, it can be this really comforting, um, awe-inspiring experience when she when she considers the you know the vast expanse of time and the and the, the her beloved relatives. On the other hand, she can face the realities of of death, right? Um, by 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 considering, you know, how everything comes to an end. All right. Um, so the, the formless darkness that she describes. Is, is, is really simply the reality of death, right? That's what she's, that's what she's understanding. And it's not, it's not so much, um, you know, the, the fact of losing your life, but, but it's something more profound than that. What is, what is it? Um, it's, not just, it's not just that, her, that she's going to, um, you know, someday be sick and die or, or grow weak and die. What is it? She won't exist, she won't exist. yeah. That, there's, that, that all of a sudden there's nothing, Okay. Is that okay? All right. You know, even like my sister, who you know, like church is bad and that kind of thing. I don't think I think she creates her own. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think she creates her own heaven. Sure. You know? It's just you go someplace. Yeah. I don't know of anybody who just thinks nothing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's it is in, it is in a sense really sort of stark atheism. Richard Dawkins, um, who you know, who says. We're we're a, we're just a, a combination of cells, neurons firing, chemical processes, and when it's done, it's done. And 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 so now I, there's a there's an there's an answer um, to the question: What is this formless darkness, um, non-existence? There's a, there's a there's there's another answer I'm looking for too. Um, what is it? What what's the problem if there's nothing after this life? Okay, that's true. Things would just dissolve into complete. Chaos, right? Anything goes, Jeanette. Fear of the unknown. Okay, um, right. So, you, yeah, you don't know what's coming next. Okay, what does it? What? It, what does it say about this life? Yeah, it's, it's meaningless. Right. Um, yeah, which which I think is a that that's kind of a, a um, that's a very challenging thought, right? What if? What if all the things that you do end up not mattering at all? All the things that you you hold to be important and dear. Carol? In some ways, maybe more than that, I mean, she's looking at her father. Right. And, and you know, someone that she dearly loves and looks up to and learns from is just going to be gone. Yep. Forever. Right. And, yeah, he's just, he'll be just like a father. If he's lucky, right? Yes, yeah, if he's lucky. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So she must have learned that from him. That must be his way of thinking. How's that? that. Well, maybe so, maybe not. You I could kind of create your own, oh, after I die, at least I'll go somewhere kind of thing. Okay. For her, it's just, you know, I'll just be a fossil. Sure. And life will end. So her father must think that way, too. She must have learned that from someone. Yeah. Well, let, let, I want to I want to flesh this out a little bit more. Cindy, you said you said that you'd never you've never ha- you'd never had that experience growing up. I don't know. I never sh- and 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 that's certainly I mean that's that it's one of the it's one of the great things about about the church is that those kind of questions can be answered right right from from our youth. But what about what about the rest of you? Have you ha- have you encountered these kinds of thoughts, Holly? Right. I could not wrap my head around it. I was like, so what was there? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I knew that God was there. Yeah. Because my parents raised me right away. You know, God bless them, saved me, and raised me in mm-hmm. the faith. But it was so bizarre that there was something outside of myself that made me much less important. Right. Right. I think one of the things that we often realize, or one of the things that's challenging about those situations, um, and she, she describes this too. She, she says later when she gets home, it seems like she shouldn't even do her math homework because this is a big problem, right? Everybody's going to die, and everybody just goes on as though it's, it's not a problem at all, right? So it, it, in some sense, um, this, is, this is why we can go so long without without ever having these realizations, is because the world functions, the world proceeds as though it's not an issue. We do everything we can to, to set, you know, set death aside, to prolong life, um, prolong the idea of life, um, so that we, we you know, um, it seems like death isn't, death isn't here until, until it comes, right? Um, anybody else? Any other experiences? Krista. But, um, you know, she, she never thought about it. Sure. You know, uh, uh, we die, and that's all. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, uh, I had, oh, she was always against it. But uh, um, to really talk about it, um, uh, naturally, sometimes, you know, you can't <laughs> yeah. talk um, about something what so far away or never think about. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that was not um, a real um, a question for her. She died. That's all. That's all. Yeah. And there, so and and um, so, what do you suppose for her was meaningful about life? Oh, she she was um, she was very interesting. She was really uh, uh, an art. Okay. She painted. Yeah. And she had kind of. She had beautiful uh, poems what she wrote and music. Okay. And all these kind of things, but um, she was kind of disappointed of the church. Okay. You know, and therefore um, more rationalizing. Sure, <laughs> sure. And she didn't go to church. Okay, okay. Uh, anybody else? Jan? Well, I, having been brought up in the country, I. You know, and now living in a city, it's like it was so much easier 
to see God out in nature. Out, sure. You know, I was brought up on a dairy farm. I mean, you, you saw the workings of life there. And to see the stars at night because you didn't have all the lights blaring in your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that that's something that my kids didn't get. Okay. I mean, to a degree they did, but not like I did. And I always felt, and, and obviously I'm a Lutheran, um, but there's just a feeling there that when you're seeing nature and, you know, you plant seeds in the ground and it comes up bountifully or, you know, you've got your year when the hail comes through and knocks the seed all out. I mean, you can see the cycle of nature and, and the seasons. Sure. Everything in the Bible makes sense when you go into talk about, you know, for everything there's a season. Sure. Yeah, you know, and there's a, real, there's a very real sense in which uh, living in the city uh, or living in um, a, a more urban area, uh, sort of, you 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 think it's just sort of set into your mind that man is man is controlling the the way things work, right? Um, that that you know, so from your, the cell phone in your pocket to the, when you go to the grocery store to pick up your food, right? So you're you're sort of removed from all of the natural processes which uh, which take place. Um, but but I think it's so interesting that you you mentioned about the hail knocking down the corn because that's something that we often neglect when we think about. Um, how, how you know, uh, exposure to nature can be a, uh, sort of uh, evidence for the existence of God. In in that sense, it's very troubling evidence for the existence of God, right? If 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 we only ever talk about the the, the beauty of nature, the grandeur, the grand, you know, the Grand Canyon, the intricacies of a flower, you know, all of the colors. If we only see pictures of nature in which the sun is shining, right? Then it's then it's easy to say, well. You know, God must really love us. But if all you ever saw were pictures of Antarctica, you know, or what's that? Tornadoes, Tornadoes earthquakes, you know, um, you, would have, you would have a very different reflection on, um, uh, on what nature has to say about God. Yeah, and then that again has to do with uh, largely with presuppositions, right? So um, it's well, we can talk. We'll talk, we'll talk more about this later. I want to I want to hear um, a little bit more about uh, what you about this experience of of the formless darkness, where she comes and she says she all of a sudden realized that everybody that everything leads to death. Yeah, yeah, Kathy. You know, I, when I read this, I, I didn't. Okay. For myself, so it was when I was very young. I, you know, maybe it was five, less than five, and I don't remember. I mean, it was something I, I didn't even remember until I read this. But I remember, remember laying in my bed on a summer night, you know, supposed to be sleeping. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if it was I had, I lost one of my grandparents when I was very young, and whether that prompted the thought. But I was too, born and raised a Lutheran. So sure. I knew yeah. That. Sure. We were going to heaven, and but yet, when I thought about my parents disappearing, yeah, it was darkness. Sure. 
there was darkness in my mind, and, it, and I, I remember not being able to sleep because the loss of the physical presence yeah. brought darkness sure. to me. So it was selfish. So it was not the same thing. But when I read her, you know, the way she mm-hmm. had this anxiety, it was right. one that I could relate to. And, and so what's, what's, you know, what's different uh, between what Jennifer describes and what, what most of you have been describing is that when, when this experience comes, she has, there's nothing to, nothing to fill the void, right? So there's this, all of a sudden there's this meaninglessness, this, this uh, non-existence, and there's nothing to fill the void. Um, but she does, actually, she does fill it, right? What does she do? Uh, what are the ways that she fills it? Or how does she find answers to the problem? Okay, great. Yeah, she, and absolutely. Um, she, we hear all about that uh, working 12-hour days, you know, um, went later when she's, when she's meeting her husband. Yeah, they're married at the end of the chapter. I didn't, I didn't want to spoil it for you. Um, uh, what else? What else? So it, even, at the, even right after she leaves the creek, something happens which, which solves the problem momentarily. Rachel? She has fun. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She has this moment of happiness where they're... And what was it? She slammed on the brakes so that she would avoid hitting the snake, and they both laughed, and it was. So this relationship provided this happiness for her. Um, now, if she had been, of course, if she had been really, you know, like really reflective about it, she might have thought, well, this is going to come to an end too, and, uh, you know, so it doesn't really solve the problem. But, but she proceeds as, uh, you know, filling, filling her life with these things, chasing after these happinesses. In fact, she says... At the end of chapter twenty, uh, page 21, she says, I'd already begun, this is the last paragraph, I'd already begun to worry that I'd live the rest of my life with these awful feelings bearing down on me at every second, but now I felt a trickle of hope that some relief could be found if I could amass more experiences like that one. It might not be a solution, but chasing those moments of happiness might be all I had. And so that's what she does. And I think that, I think that that's a pretty, actually that's a really good diagnosis of, of how... Um, even we as Christians deal with the sort of the stark realities of, of life and death sometimes. Um, and this is, the, this is the challenge of, of being a Christian is believing that, believing that God supplies the meaning in our life um, and that Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus is the end of, of, of things for us, that our life does not end in death, but it ends in, in the resurrection with Jesus. Um, but, but it's, you know, when we're faced with reality, we, we, we often struggle with that, and we, we, it's easy to fill, fill life with other things, right? Okay, now we're getting grim again here. Um, let's move on. Are, are any other thoughts or questions here? There's a lot we could talk. We could talk about this for a long time, but I, I think maybe we should move on a little bit. Um, let's talk about Joe. Describe Joe. So now we're, we're in chapter 5. High achiever, right? Yeah. Um, so now, so here we have a direct contrast. What, how does Joe find meaning in life? What is Joe's meaning? In fact, they have this conversation, right? Um, Jen asks him, what is, or yeah, what does life mean? What's the meaning of life? He, he, he asks her what she's, what's next for her, and she says, I'm trying to figure out the meaning of life. And, she, and he says, I got it figured out, right? What's, mean, what's the meaning of life for him? Make a lot of money, yeah. Real financial security, right? Real financial stability, not having ever to worry. And why is that? Why is that so meaningful for him? Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So sort of, so sort of solving that problem is his, is his goal, and once he can accomplish that, or the accomplishing of that is what fills his life with meaning. Um, you, I mean, the anecdotes are abound about people who, who strike it rich and then find that life is still <laughs> life is still kind of void of <laughs> of meaning. Uh, you know, the money doesn't the money doesn't fill the void. Um, okay, so now that's what Joe's like. That's 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 what what he's aiming for. That's how he finds meaning in life. What's what are his thoughts about religion? Yeah, he, yeah, right. Okay, so. He believes in God, and he says that he's a Christian. Um, but, uh, but clearly he means, and she even says, this meant something different to him than it means to most people. What does it mean to Joe to, to be a Christian and to believe in God? It didn't seem to be a way of life. It was simply acknowledging that truth. Right. But in his life, he was very successful. He, he had no need yet of relying on anything or person other than himself. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a great description of it. There's no, it has nothing to do with trust. It has everything to do with acknowledging God's existence. So that when they're in the plane and he looks out the window, right? This is this is what religion is to him. It's a sort of mountaintop experiences where you you take a step back, you you pause from being self-made, and you say, "Oh yeah, there's you know God is responsible for all of this." Okay. Um, yeah, Krista. Right. Yes. So all the evidence is pointing in his direction, right? If if he wants to believe that he is self-made, I mean, he's got all the all all kinds of good reasons to believe that because it's his it's his drive, it's his initiative, it's his intelligence which has led him supposedly to be where he is. Okay. And again, so now again, this is this is an obstacle, really, um, because so often it seems like. Um, the things that we do determine the outcomes in our lives. Do you know what I mean? Seems like there there's a direct correlation between cause and effect. Like for instance, like like karma rules, you know, in the world. Sometimes it seems like that. If you do good, good will happen to you. If you try hard, you will succeed. Um, and when that happens, it can be challenging. It can be really challenging to take a step back and say, no, I'm going to acknowledge that this is all from all from God. Penny, did you have? Well, pretty much that. You know, he he can he can trust that his view of God and Christianity is correct because look how well it's working for him. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Um, so Jennifer and Joe have an argument on the plane about religion, and um, what what are the arguments? What how, how does the argument go? He he looks out the window and says, "Look at all this. How can anybody? I can't believe that anybody would ever say that God doesn't exist." When they see, so it's this big thundercloud and lightning in the background and a plane flying between them and the cloud. How does the argument go? Well, she says, you know, I don't believe in God, right? Right. She says, yeah, but that's not the way about it. Eventually, you're going to get old. Man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're a reason. Yeah, right. He just he lays it on so thick. You're a reasonable person. You'll get over that. Man, I'm. I'm amazed that it didn't end there with uh, getting the boot. Yeah, right. That's probably true. Okay, so uh, what? Go on. What happens next? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he uses yeah this this argument from analogy. He says this plane didn't show up all by itself. Naturally, we can't expect anything else to show up all by itself. What is what is her response? What does she say? Well, she was just mad that he called her. Unreasonable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so she wasn't thinking clearly. That's <laughs> true. Well, but uh, what what does she say? What what's how does she how does she um, counter his argument? Right. Yeah. You can you can you can assert that God created it, um, but you might as well assert that the tooth fairy and Santa Claus exist too, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think that this is where the conversation ended, isn't it? What what is what's his experience that it really boils down to? Yeah, yeah, that's right, and it's fascinating. I think the way he says it, um, because it, all, all along you're thinking this is he's really thought this out very carefully, and is very um, being very reasonable about it. Then all of a sudden it it changes. He says his tone was his tone was lighter now. Um, he says. He believes in Jesus, doesn't know if he's actually divine, whether everything that was written about him, page 40 here, whether everything that was written about him is actually true. The stewardess hands, him, uh, hands her a cup of ice water, and he says, I was baptized when I was 13 in a full dunk Baptist ceremony. When I came out of the water, I felt this, right? And, and that, that ends it for her, right? That, the, if that's the basis for what you're saying, then forget about it, right? And what, so what do you think about that? Um, do you think that the idea that he says, I felt this, whatever, this, this existence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, whether that undermines his argument? You know, back, I think this is on page 39, when he's still talking about this whole thing, you know, why he believe in Christianity, you know, he says, my point is that all philosophies are right. Um, obviously, it's that they, these aren't the kinds of questions you answer with material evidence alone. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I think this is this, this is a great place to boil to boil things down. So in the creek, in her creek experience, she discovers that she has other questions besides, um, you know, what are the physical processes that govern the world. She has other questions besides scientific questions. She has a question about meaning, about purpose. What's the point of life? Um, what does it mean if I'm not going to exist anymore? And a question of meaning is something that, that science is not going not to be able to answer. It doesn't, it's a question that science doesn't try to answer, right? Um, and, and so what she, what she realizes at the creek is that there's another question out there, um, but she sort of she wants to dismiss it, right? Um, and that's what she does for a very long time, okay? Um, we're, run, we're just blowing through the time here. Go ahead, Carol. Yeah, right. I don't really care if he thinks he's God or not. Mm-hmm. But what's important is, are you one of these crazy people that... <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Jan, did you have... You were gonna say? I think the other thing is, he mentioned his baptism. 
she had and look at me now right yeah it <laughs> didn't that's good yeah right right that's very true um yeah i you know so this this comment this point about um how whether or not god exists doesn't really matter to her that i think is a central a central point um and this is what this is so we can get through actually everything i i all of my points here on the page um so I want you to think about this for just a minute. Uh, up on the right column, some theology. Um, what I want to talk about is, or I want, you, I want you to think about what's the relationship, especially that second question. What's the relationship between the gospel and the existence of God? Okay? So first, let's answer the question, what's the gospel? What is the gospel? This is a very difficult question. Seminarians, seminarians are very bad at answering these questions. So we, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Um, you might. What's that? It's the good news. It's the good news, and, and um, yeah, it's good news. It's a. It's a told in story form, really. Jesus died and rose. Then you can flesh that out and say, well, who was Jesus? He was God, um, and uh, you know, he was. He his death was sacrificial, right? But it, the basic data is about Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus died and rose. So now, what's the relationship between that? In the existence of God. Does that, does that question make sense? What do those two things have to do with each other? They have to bring back reality. Okay. Uh, that Jesus is a man and God at the same time. Okay, right. So, so without the existence of God, um, we can't say that Jesus was God. It doesn't make, doesn't make any sense, right? Um, but if you, dem- if, you, if you demonstrate that God exists... Have you said what? What have you said about the gospel? Nothing, Nothing right? Because God, even if and and this is the this, the third point there, um, even if you say something about God being creator of the world, um, you still haven't said anything about the gospel, right? Which is why it's very it's very um, astute <coughs> that that Jennifer notices that it doesn't really matter to her whether God exists or not, because she doesn't. She doesn't have. She doesn't know who God is. She doesn't. She doesn't. There's no. There's no point to God's existence, right? Even if God is the one who creates the world, what's the point? We still live in this world. We still have to find meaning um, in our lives. Um, so, you, you, the, there's a there's a gap between discussion about the existence of God and the gospel, right? Now, I wanted to look. Does that does that make sense? Any questions about what I'm saying there? I want to, I, one way we can flesh this out a little bit is to look in Genesis. You normally get done at 10.15, right? Okay, good. Okay, let's go down to uh, Genesis 1. And, um, gosh, I really want to read the whole thing. Um, Okay, I'm going to do this. I'll read it quickly. You know, you, you probably know it, so I can read it quickly. Okay, so I'm going to read Genesis 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. This is the, the account of creation. And what I want you to think about is that first question I've written there. What's the point of this account? Okay, what's the point? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and it was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the night from the, the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great light, lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, so what's the point? Okay, okay, good. Uh, that is a refrain, right? We hear this over and over again. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so um, God looks at the earth and God looks at his creation and says that it's good, um, which informs us about everything that happens next in, in the Bible, right? It's all, everything that happens next is all about how things went bad, mm-hmm. right? And how God makes it good again. He also planned for it to continue. Okay. Mm-hmm. All of it to 
Sure. Right. And they were all given for food, right? <coughs> to, for the animals and for, and for the people, okay? Um, so God saw that it was good. Um, the creation is good. Um, God plans for creation to, to be sustainable, to sustain itself. Um, now, those are, those are both good answers, but at this point, um, we still, we still kind of have a God who is kind of like uh, an uninterested, uh, he like winds up the clock and sends it, sends it on its way. It's almost like he made his toy. That's, okay, right, yeah. Penny, go ahead. Well, he made all these things that were different, plants, water, mm-hmm. lights, but then he made man in his own image. Yeah. So this was this was a very intentional, specific, right. different from all the rest of the creation. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, and and you're, so that there we're getting, I think, really, really close to the point of, of Genesis 1. Um, it's not just about how, not just about that God created the world. Uh, you know, prior to the 17th century, everybody believed God created the world, right? It was just common, <laughs> common knowledge that God created the world. Uh, what, we're do- what, we're, what we're learning here is the reason why God created the world and what's different about um, the... Uh, we're learning... We're learning uh, it's polemical in a sense. It's, we're learning about all the things that people say that are wrong. So, for instance, um, when God creates the sun and the moon, we, we assume it's the sun and the moon, but what does he say? He says, he created the two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. It, um, there's, this, there's this interesting thing that's happening here is that the writer is not using the words sun and moon because those were the names of deities. So, the whole point here is that those things that you see up in heaven, the sun and the moon, those aren't gods, they aren't creators, it's God who is author of those. Okay, so, and this happens all over, all over the place here in Genesis 1. We're, we're finding out that, that God created everything. That is true, but the God who created everything is especially the God who created man to be the, the pinnacle of, of creation, right? Now, uh, what does it mean if that God creates man in his own image? Is it Jesus? Well, that's right. Yep. So Jesus, Jesus is the image, the very image of God, right? Um, so Jesus is the perfection of what man was created to be. Um, uh, but what does it mean for? Um, I don't. I'm, I don't want to give away the answer. Um, what does it mean for? Meaning. Okay. What did you say? Companionship. Companionship. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. So uh, what are the other times we might use? Um, the language about being made in image is when we have when we have children, right? So, um, this is my this is my son. He's in my he he is in my image, right? He is an image of me, um, which defines my our relationship. So I am his father. He is my son, and that's the kind of relationship that's being described here in Genesis one. Now, the, if we had more time, there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of interesting literary devices that are being used. I'll let you, I'll I'll let you. Get, clue you in onto one of them here. We've got six days of creation. The first day we have uh, the, God creates light, which corresponds then to what he does in the fourth day when he creates the greater and lesser light. So we've got first day he creates light, fourth day he creates greater and lesser light. 
The second day, he uh, separates the water, or he, he, he creates the, uh, separates the water, so we have heaven above and the waters below. The fifth day, he creates sea creatures and birds of the heavens. Okay? You see, the, you see the, how these are lining up? The third day, he creates land, and he creates all the vegetation that goes on the land. Is that right? Third day, land. Third day... And, and this is important. This is different than the, uh, than the first two days because he creates two things on the third day. He creates land, and he saw that it was good, and he puts vegetation on the land, and he saw that it was good. The sixth day, what does he create? Land animals, and he saw that it was good, and man, and he saw that it was good. So all of this, this, this parallel structure here is building up towards this, this point, the creation of man, which is utterly different than everything else that he's created, and... The, the correspondence is that everything is for the good of man. God is supplying things for the good of man, right? The plants are there for man to eat. Uh, man is given dominion over the, over the, over the world. Um, so this, you know, there's all kinds of things in the structure of Genesis 1 which show us that the point of Genesis 1 is that God created the world uh, and he created man to be the pinnacle of the world. Um, and not the pinnacle in the sense that he, he winds us up and sets us on our way to be gods in our own right, but he creates the world because he loves us and he creates the world and everything that's in it to care for us, okay? As a father cares for his children. So even in Genesis 1 here, in the, in the language of uh, man being created in God's image, we have a, a hint of what we say in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, right? Okay? So now, how does this relate to, uh, to, to Jennifer, to the, to the story about Jennifer? Well, what we have in Genesis 1, what we have, what we learn about creation from, from the Bible is sort of an answer to the problem of uh, what, is, what does all this mean? Why is all this here, right? So on a good day, you can look at creation and say, there must be a God out there, but you don't know much about him. On a bad day, you say, there must be a God and he probably hates me, right? Um, we, we know from from the account in Genesis, that God creates the world to be good for man, right? Does that make sense? Um, so, you know, often Genesis 1 is used just as, as evidence, as argumentation to, to, to simply show that God exists or to, to show that God created the world um, in a certain mechanical way. That, that's true. God created the world in a certain way, in a certain order. But the point is, the point is that God creates the world for us. He's the one who supplies our meaning. He's the one who, who gives, us, gives us this meaning. All right. Now I just rambled on for the last 15 minutes. Do you have any questions, any thoughts here? Is it interesting that God created all the needed things and then created man rather than creating man and then giving him all the things he needed? Right. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like he said, oh, I forgot to... I got, I got to give him this and this and this, right? Except in the case of a companion, right? That was that is interesting. There's something we should talk about that sometime. Jan, I think you know the other thing we need to realize is that every major civilization had its own creation story. Yeah. Okay. I mean, civilizations believed that there was a some kind of a supreme being. I don't care if you go to Egypt or Assyria or Babylon mm -hmm. or whatever. The difference is that you keep reading and God, the supreme being, 
that we have didn't set it out there and say, okay, now right. figure out what to do with your life. Right, exactly. He brought the Savior to us. He gave his son right. to die for us, and, and that's the big difference. I mean, the Muslims believe in the same quote-unquote God that we do. Right. So do the Jews. You know, that same supreme being. They, yeah, right, they believe in the same, the same creation story, right? Same. Yep, yeah. The difference is that we have Jesus Christ. Yep, right, exactly. Okay. So I wasn't sure how this was going to go. I wasn't sure, because there's so much that we can discuss in the story. I want to know whether you feel like... Uh, you're, whether you're comfortable with Jen's story to this point. Do you have, do you have any questions or things you want to talk about yet about what, what's going on with Jen, Jennifer? Was she ever called Jen in the story? No? Yeah. So we'll, so we, we'll, we'll continue with that story next time. Um, okay. All right. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.